Guys, this is Shan. I think most of you know her already, but she was baptized this past week. So I'm going to give you that. Love you, babe. Go sit down. Um, anytime somebody makes a commitment to Christ, we want to we publicly acknowledge that. Uh, because we have a new baby in our midst. And we're happy to be a congregation where we have a lot of new babies. We're a growing family. Uh, and we're going to have another baptism, I believe, after service today. So if you want to stick around for that. Uh, Amaya has decided to give her life to Christ today. Uh, so exciting, right? A lot of good things happening. Now, in the midst of good things that are happening, there's a lot of bad stuff that's happening in the world too, right? Uh, you've got political strife. You've got violence around the world. We're in the St. Louis area. We regularly hear about riots and stuff like that. You know, all the stuff with George Floyd and everything in the last few years. So there's, there's reason sometimes in the world, even though there's good things happening, to kind of feel bad about the way things are going. There's, there's stuff that can sometimes make us feel hopeless. Maybe it's not uh, just the larger world. Maybe it's something more personal for you. Maybe you've got a loved one that's struggling really bad. Maybe you've got a, uh, somebody that's struggling with an addiction or somebody that's struggling with health issues. Even here among us, I know we have a lot of people uh, that are struggling with their health, guys. We have people that we love that are going through chemotherapy and, and dealing with uh, some serious stuff. And, and, and things like that, whenever life throws you a curveball, whenever somebody you love is hurting or some bad situation is occurring around you that's touching your life, it can really make you lose confidence in what's going on. It can make you lose confidence in yourself. It can make you lose confidence sometimes even in some stuff, really big stuff like the goodness of God whenever bad things happen. We're starting a new series uh, this week that is going through the book of 1 Peter, and it's called Unmistakable Confidence. We're going to be looking at the message of 1 Peter and some truth about God that's going to help us go through life confidently. And, and when you think about confidence, guys, it's the same as hope in the scripture. If you don't have hope in your life, like you're missing something really, really important. You're not going to be okay. In the Bible, faith, hope, and love, the big three, uh, you remove one of those, it's like, it's like taking a, a leg off the stool, right? You're going to fall down. It's not going to be good. But life can throw you a curveball, can it? And there's stuff that can occur that can, make you, that can make you just not look forward to the future, right? Now, anytime, if you've ever been in a place in your life where you're, where you're hopeless, where you don't feel like you have anything to look forward to, that's when you get to the point of self-destruction. That's where you get to the point of uh, thinking about suicide. It's when you feel like you don't have anything to look forward to. That's when you're depressed, right? But the opposite of that is hope. The opposite of that is this confident expectation that I have good things coming to me in my future. And guys, that's what faith is helps you have. That is a big part of the message of the Bible is when, when we're connected to Jesus, when we're connected to his family, we get to inherit all of these blessings that are so big and massive and huge that it makes all of life's problems look really small. Even though life's problems can be really big, when you compare them to the greatness and the goodness that's coming, they look really small. And so what God helps us do through faith is helps us adopt a mindset that, that is going to make a big difference. And I'll just tell you guys, First Peter, 
was written at a time when the church was being persecuted, okay? So everything we read in this book during the series, you need to keep that in mind. Peter is writing to these guys at a time when the things are not good for the church. People are mistreating them. People are, are ostracizing them. They're not being treated well simply because they said they love Jesus and believe he rose from the dead, right? So I'm going to go ahead and have Mike read uh, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, and then we're just going to jump into it. Go ahead, Mike. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus and the anointed one, to the chosen ones who have been scattered abroad like seed, and to the nations living as refugees, to those living in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Menethia. All right. Now, I want to remind you guys, this was written at a time when things were not going well. And we're just going to keep getting into it here. You got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have some space for you to uh, take down a couple of notes so you can remember it better. Also going to have most of the scriptures we're going to look at on there. Uh, so you might go ahead and pull those out. The first blank on your notes here is I'm able to have unmistakable confidence knowing that, number one, God chose me to be part of his family. Number one, God chose me to be part of his family. Now, this is true for everyone. God chooses you to be part of, your part of his family. The question is, do you choose God? The question is not, did God choose me? The question is, did you choose God? God's door is open to everybody. In 1 Peter 1, verse 2, the first part of verse 2, God planned long ago to choose you and to make you his holy people which is the Spirit's work. Now that you in this passage is plural, okay? This is not a singular where God has singularly mapped out your life individually. This is a plural. This is spoken to anybody who joins the family of God. Now, God chooses those who choose to make his family a part of their life. God chooses those who choose to become part of the church. So really, ultimately, God chooses you, but it's left up to you. Do you choose God. We join God's family when we're born again. And again, guys, this is a choice. In 1 Peter 3, the first part of uh, verse 3, all honor to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is his boundless mercy that he has given us the privilege of being born again, so that we are now members of God's own family. How do you become a member of God's family? You're born again, right? When you're born again, you become a member of God's family. Now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose again from the dead. Now, I just want to point out, if you want to be part of God's family, you have to be born again. Okay, now Peter is speaking to a group of people. He's writing to a group of people that already knew all this stuff. He was just reminding them of what they had already been taught. When you decide to become a Christian... What you are saying, when you get serious about it, what you're saying is that old me is going to die. I am walking away from that old life. I am walking away from that old way of operating and those old values. I'm going to become someone new. In, in, the, in the Bible, when you decide to become a Christian, you get baptized, right? That's the first step when you decide to give your life to Christ. And what you're saying is, just like Jesus lived and died and was buried and rose again, I have lived, but now I want to die to my old way of life. So I'm going to be buried in the waters of baptism, 
and I'm going to come back up to a new life. I'm going to have new values. I'm going to have a new way of operating in the world. I'm going to honor Jesus with my decisions and my time. I'm going to live in a different way than I was living before. If you get baptized and there's nothing different about you afterwards, you did it wrong, right? You're doing it wrong. You are saying, I am going to become a new person. And that's what he is reminding these people of. When you are born again, when you make that decision, you are adopted into God's family. Now that decision is up to you. God chooses you. God chooses everybody. There's not a single person on earth that God doesn't want a relationship with. But whether we choose God or not, whether we choose to pursue him or not is up to us. But God chooses you. Man, I run into people all the time that don't believe that. And I'm sure there's a bunch of you in here that don't believe that. You think you are somehow special. You are not special. You are not so special that God doesn't love you, but he loves everybody else. You are not so special that God's promises aren't for you. They're just for everybody else. God's promises are for you. God's love is for you. You need to honor God with your choices. And, and this... Um, this is your choice. Guys, kind of like if you go to, the, to an NFL game and you're a spectator, right? What is expected of spectators at the NFL? Not a whole lot. You can cheer if you want to. You don't have to. You can just sit there and do nothing. You can just spectate, right? They don't expect anything from you. But what if you become a member of the team, right? So you go from being a spectator to being on the team. What's expected of you when you're on the team? Well, there's a rule book you have to follow. There is a coach in your life that you need to listen to. Okay, if you got one of those helmets on with the headpiece in there, you got maybe a little voice in your ear directing you, right? Like the quarterback, right? There's a different expectation for the player that is not expected of the spectator. And so when you're born again, what you're saying is, I am joining the team. I am going to be on the team. Now I have a mission. I have a task. I have something before me. It is a different ball game when you join the team. You cannot say, I'm going to join Team Jesus and remain a spectator and be for real. Just like you cannot say, I'm going to join the NFL team, but I'm not going to play. I'm just still going to sit the same. I just want to wear the jersey. I'm going to, that's, that's not how this works. Whenever you are born again, you are not the same old person. If you are authentically born again, you are a member of God's family. You are playing on God's team. You are about God's mission. You are no longer the selfish, spoiled person you were before. You're different. It's different. But if you try to continue to be a spectator, saying you're on the team, it just doesn't work that way, right? Paul connects living in confidence with this promise of salvation given to God's family as well. It's very important. In 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes, As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We're always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice here, he says, they experience salvation when they believed the good news and started living according to it, right? They became something different. Jesus chooses you, do you choose Jesus? That's the question. When you choose him, 
For those who make the decision to become born again, guys, you become part of Jesus' global church. You become part of his team. You are playing according to a different set of rules than you were before, and you can approach life confidently knowing that you're on the winning team. It's different, though, than it was before after that new birth, right? You're part of his family. Secondly, I'm able to have unmistakable confidence knowing that, number two, God has been and is working in my life. God has been and is working in my life. Here's a great truth in the Bible. God pays attention to me. God cares about me. God notices me. Individually, God notices me. It says in 1 Peter, uh, the second part of verse 2, And the Holy Spirit has been at work in your hearts, cleansing you with the blood of Jesus Christ, and making you to please him. Now again, guys, this is written to Christians. This is written to people who've been baptized, who've made the commitment to follow Jesus. This is written to to people that are disciples. And what, what he's saying here is that God is at work inside you. What the Bible teaches is when you decide to become a Christian, when you make that commitment to follow Jesus, God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Spirit guides us. He helps us see ourselves the way God sees us. He helps us see sin the way God sees it. He helps us see and become wise. It's supernatural work. And what he's saying here is that if you're a disciple, if you're part of the family of God, God is supernaturally at work in your heart to make you more like Christ. And you can get in the way of that. You can hinder the work of the Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul writes in another place, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let let him do his work. But we can work in concert with the Spirit as well. We can walk in step with the Lord. That's what it means to become wise, is, is to walk in the Spirit and to become more and more a man or a woman who honors God, who honors the Spirit living in you. And that's for Christians, right? But even before you become a Christian, even before you make a decision to get on the team, God is at work in your life. And that's true for everybody. God will work through circumstances. God will work through other people. You know, some people will plant seeds that will be watered later. And if you think about your life and this journey we're on, the spiritual journey, there's been a, probably a lot of people that played a part in your becoming a Christian. Or if you're not quite there yet, there have been a lot of people that have been working on you. And God works through things like that. But even broader than that, guys, look at what it says in Acts 17, 26 and 27. This is Paul writing about God's work in the world. He says, from one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, what this says right here is that God has paid attention to you even before you were born. God marked out the time for you to live in. God marked out the place for you to live in. And God put you in the place you're in so that you would perhaps reach out to him. Now, I want you to notice this is a possibility. It's possibility. Who does God leave leave it up to? Remember now, God has chosen you. He chose you. Are you going to choose him? You've been put in the place in life that you've been put in and given an opportunity. Whether you take advantage of the opportunity or not is up to you. 
God can throw stuff at you all day, but because you were put, you were created in his image, you get to make the decision at the end of the day. You are not a little robot. God's not going to take you over and like remote control your life. You were created in the image of God, in his sovereignty. He gave you the ability to make choices. He gave you free will. He wants you to choose to love him. And he wants you to choose to love other people. But he leaves the ball in your court. So he puts you in the places that he puts you. But then it says, just look at this, guys. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps, perhaps reach out and find him. Whether you do or not, you live in that perhaps. So the question is, what are you going to do? You get to make the decision. You can continue to be a spectator if that's where you are. You can even say you've joined the team and put the jersey on and go sit back in the stands if that's what you want to do. It's up to you. It's a perhaps are you going to take advantage of the opportunity that God gives you in your life? Or are you going to sit back and be a spectator? That's the question. It's up to you. But what, what the message of Scripture and what, what the people who love the Lord in your life are going to do is they're going to try to encourage you not to do that. To join the team and to be a member and to be serious about it. To, to get on with the mission. And there's two benefits that come because of God working in my life. The first one is freedom from anxiety. In 1 Peter 1, 2, may God bless you richly and grant you increasing freedom from all anxiety and fear. When I trust that God's working in my life, when I really trust that he's working in my life, I don't have to have control. And all anxiety is, all fear is, is an attempt to exercise control often over things that I have no control over. But I'm rolling it around in my head. I'm rolling it around in my head. I should have done this. I should have said that. What if they said this? I could have said that, right? It's, it's an attempt to exercise control. That's all it is. But when I realize that God's in control and he's good and he's going to take care of me, it frees me from the need to try to control it myself. It frees me from that anxiety when I'm confident that God is working in my life and in this situation. The second benefit is hardship refines my character. It really does refine my character. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, he writes, be glad about this. And he's talking about, um, again, they're in the midst of persecution, right? Be glad about this, even though it may now be necessary for you to be sad for a while because of the many kinds of trials you suffer. Now, here's, here's the punchline, right? Their purpose, the purpose of these trials that you're going through, the, the, their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. Even gold is tested by fire. And so your faith must also be tested so that it may endure, then you will receive praise and honor on the day when Jesus returns. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, if you've never looked into what an ancient goldsmith would do to create a work of art out of gold, whenever they would get the raw material, the gold, they would take the gold and they would heat it up to a specific temperature, make it very, very hot. And what would happen when that gold would go through the fire is the fire would burn out the impurities in the gold. It would, it would, it would take out the stuff that wasn't gold so that at the end you'd just be left with the precious metal, right? So 
it burns away impurities. It would eventually bring the gold when all the impurities were gone to such a high gloss that the goldsmith would be able to see his reflection in it. That's pure gold, right? Not only that, when you heat it up, it would make the gold malleable where it could be shaped. And the goldsmith could shape it into whatever he wanted because it's soft. It would also, every time that it would go through a process of refinement, the gold would come out more pure, worth more, and it would come out stronger through every single fire. Now, if the fire got too hot, it would bubble up and, and it would actually decrease the value of the gold. So they had to be careful with the, make sure it was the right temperature. It, if it cooled too quickly, that wasn't good either. It would become brittle. It would break. And so there was a specific set heat that the goldsmith would put this thing through, making sure it's not too hot, not too cold, and all these impurities and, and everything are going to burned away. It's going to come out where I'm going to be able to see my reflection in it, and it's going to be shapeable, and, and it's going to be something I can work with. That's the goldsmith. Peter here is comparing trials to going through the process of refinement, but only refinement for your character. Guys, whenever you go through a trial, when you go through a fire in life, but you keep your faith in, in Jesus, whenever you keep your confidence in Jesus and you keep moving forward, honoring Jesus with your actions and your words and your spirit in the midst of a trial, what happens is that burns impurities away from your life. Trials do not create weaknesses. Trials reveal weaknesses. If you've got a, a weakness in your character, a trial is going to make that come out really quickly. You struggle with bitterness, God's going to give you an opportunity to get mad at somebody. Seriously, and see what you do with it. You struggle with impatience, God's going to put somebody in your life that's going, to, that's going to try your patience and see what you do with it. You struggle with addiction, there's going to be temptation present in your life that you're going to have to make a decision to walk away. If you struggle with enablement, God's going to give you opportunities to walk away from that, right? Anything you struggle with, there's going to be stuff in life. There's going to be fires that come. And the hotter the fire, the greater the temptation to do something that you shouldn't do, right? You get that cancer diagnosis, God's going to give you uh, an opportunity to use that in a way that's healthy, are you, are you concerned inward, right? There's always going to be a temptation with a trial. There's going to be a temptation. you got to look at the fire as a refinement process. you got to look at the fire as an opportunity to honor God through it. And as you learn to honor God through the fire, you become spiritually mature. That's how it works. It's not pleasant. Okay? It's a fire. It's hot. But the times of greatest growth in your life are going to come through trial. They're not going to come through life being great all the time. That's not how spiritual growth works. Spiritual growth works when you make contact with a broken world and God grabs your hand and helps you rise above the brokenness as you cling to him. That's what it looks like to become spiritually mature. But when you lay down in the quagmire and roll around in the muck, Guys, that's an option too. But you're not going to grow that way. You're, you're going to waste the fire. You're going to waste the trial. And, and, and I've done that. Like I'm, I've done that plenty of times, right, in my life. 2 Corinthians 4.17 is another one that we want to look at whenever we're talking about trials. Because 
Guys, we have people in this room that are dealing with big stuff. We've got people in this room that are dealing with big health issues. We've got people in this room that are dealing with big problems at home. We've got people in this room that are dealing with big problems in their marriages. We've got people in here with big problems, right? Whenever you're facing a big problem, it can feel overwhelming. Whenever you're facing a big problem, you get up in the morning, that's all you want to think about that day because it's kind of dominating everything about your life in that moment. When you're dealing with a crisis, when there's a loved one, it's just all that's on your mind all the time. Your heart hurts. Your head hurts. Your spirit hurts, right? You wouldn't describe that as small. When you compare your problem, and if you can really wrap your mind around this, when you compare your problem, when you compare your trial to the greatness of God, and the glory of God, and the blessings of God, and the future that God has in store for you. If you can just get a small little inkling of how big God's blessings are, how big and great His glory is, how great the plan is for your life, how great the gifts are for you, when you can get your mind just a little bit around that, and then compare your problem to that, Okay, you may have a big problem, but what does your problem look like when you compare it to how big God is? It's not very big. And that's what Paul urges you, that's the, that's the view he urges you to adopt in this passage. It says, now the Corinthians, from what we can tell, they were potentially facing like a famine or something. We don't exactly know the problem. We do know it was a big problem. We do know it was affecting everybody in the congregation, rich and poor alike. He says, these troubles and sufferings of ours are... After all, quite small, quite small, and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. That's the mindset that Paul encourages this church in Corinth to adopt. They're facing potential starvation, right? Best we can tell is probably what's going on. And Paul says to a church facing hardship and starvation, it's not that big a deal when you look at God's blessings. It's really small, right? What if I die? Well, if you die in Christ, you get to go be with him. That's the worst that can happen to you in life is you lose your life. Guys, at the end of the day, if you lose your life in Jesus, where do you get to go? You get to go be with Jesus. Nobody goes up there and is with Jesus and says, send me back. Doesn't work like that. Get up there and you're like, man, I wish it had come sooner. Right? At the end of the day, he beat death. It don't get no worse than that for us. He beat death. We don't even have to look, we don't have to worry about that. Right? So everything in life, when you compare it to how good God is, every trial becomes small. Thirdly, I am to have unmistakable confidence knowing, number three, God has secured my future. God has secured my future. It says uh, in 1 Peter 3 through 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Guys, that's exciting right there. That's exciting right there, amen? Listen, God wants you to be excited about your future. He wants you to be excited about heaven. He wants you to be excited about the time to come. Heaven and hell is something Jesus talked about a lot. He presented this worldview that when we die, we are going to be judged by God and we're going to spend an eternity either with God or apart from God. We're going to be either with the source of life or apart from the source of life. We're going to be with the source of our hope or apart from the source of our hope, right? That's the worldview. I have talked with people that grew up going to church that say they don't want to go to heaven because it sounds boring. You ever heard anybody say that? You sit and watch the cartoons. What are you when you die? You turn into a fat baby playing a harp on a cloud, right? You just sit around a fat, naked baby on a cloud playing a harp. That's not what heaven is like. What heaven is presented as being like is like a recreated better Eden. You ever read the story about Eden, right? You go read uh, Genesis, Adam and Eve, they're together in a garden, they have all their needs met, they get to play with the animals that God created for their enjoyment. Can you imagine, anybody here like animals? Okay, wouldn't it be fun if like a lion wouldn't eat you and you could just go play with it? That's what heaven's going to be like, because that's what it was like in the garden. You know, and, and, and like the animals are playing together. Like the bear is just like pawing a puppy and playing with it and having fun, you know? Uh, the, the Bible says that in heaven we're going to have bodies like Jesus had when he rose from the dead. If you go read the Gospels, when Jesus rose from the dead, he came back and he sat with Peter. One of the first things he did is he asked Peter to give him some breakfast, right? When he came back and was reconnecting with him. He got to eat some food. Now, he still had some scars on him from his life on earth, but it didn't hurt. Like, he was okay. Uh, he could do some pretty cool stuff with that body, which I don't know if we can do all the things Jesus could do with his body, but he could do things like walk through walls, right? There was one instance where the disciples, before they really knew if this resurrection thing was for real, he just sort of appeared in a room in front of them and scared them all and probably thought it was hilarious. Because Jesus had a sense of humor. Like a lot of the stuff he did was pretty funny. There's another time where, uh, where he flew. Like if you go read the story, of, uh, when he gives the Great Commission, he literally flies. What if you can fly? What if you can do that in heaven? What if heaven is a recreated, perfected earth where you can do stuff like go explore Maybe the stuff you can only look at through like the Hubble Space Telescope. Now, what if you could go and look at that stuff with your eyes? Like, you know, God, he loves you, right? He's made a place that you're going to love living in forever. And if you're anything like me and you have a short attention span, forever's a long time. I guarantee you God has made enough stuff for you to do, and for you to enjoy in heaven, you are never, ever, eternally going to run out of stuff to do. You are never, ever going to run out of things to explore. You are never going to run out of, uh, of anything. Right? Now that sounds pretty cool, right? When you make the decision to get on the team, 
When you make the decision to be born again, when you stop being that old sinful self and you start being the new you, when you stop being about the old stuff that you were about and you start being about the stuff Jesus was about, when you stop being comfortable with your old character and way of living and you start trying to be like Jesus, God gives you access to this future where, man, you get to look forward to being in heaven and it's going to be awesome. He wants you to imagine it. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to meditate on that where you can, in the midst of the worst garbage in your life, look forward to what you have coming to you. That's what it means to have this unmistakable confidence. When you know God is on your team, he's going to take care of you, and you get this eternity in heaven with him to look forward to, you can deal with anything in life. You can deal with anything in life because the worst life can do is kill you. And then you win. Right? Verse 6. Because you know this, you have great store, great joy. Because you know about this future that you have. You have great joy. Why could Paul and Silas sit in prison and sing praises to God? Because they knew the future they had coming to them. Why could Peter, the apostle that we're reading about this morning, hang upside down on a cross being crucified and pray for the forgiveness of the people who put him there? Because he knew the future that he had in store for him. Why could the apostles not stop telling people Jesus rose from the dead and go from town to town until they were picked off one by one, every one of them, going to their deaths, praying for those that were persecuting them? Why could they do that? Because they knew the future they had coming to them. The trial did not knock them off track. The trial revealed their heart. Trial will reveal your weakness. Trial will reveal your strength. When you have leaned into Jesus for your strength, your response is going to be different than if you are not leaning into Jesus, if you're leaning into your own understanding. You're not going to be the same person. If you're struggling here today, if you're stuck, if you aren't growing spiritually, it's not because God moved. It's not because God isn't available. It's because you're not leaning into God. You are hanging on to your pride. You are hanging on to your self-reliance. You are hanging on to your independence. You're hanging on to your wisdom. When you start leaning into Jesus and start living Jesus' way, when you get on the team and quit being a spectator, life and everything about it is going to fall into place because you are putting your confidence in the right place. When you don't have your confidence in the right place, when you put your confidence in your own understanding or your own way of living life, your life is just going to fail because we're not God. There's only one. And we can put our confidence in him or not. There's only one. You don't get to choose another one. I mean, you do, but it's going to be a bad choice. Amen? Choose Jesus. Because you know this, you have great joy. You have joy even though you may have had to suffer for a little while. You may have had to suffer sadness and all kinds of trouble. He's saying right here, you may have had to suffer, but you still have your joy because you still have, you still have this confident expectation in the future. You still believe God is good. 
And that's what it comes down to. Like whenever bad stuff happens, guys, Satan will attack you by trying to get you to question God's goodness. I was molested when I was a little kid. I grew up uh, being severely abused. By the time I was a teenager, I had all kinds of issues. Had all kinds of issues. Had this darkness I was carrying around inside of me. And when I started working out as an adult, what happened to me as a kid, I had faith in God. But honestly, as an adult, whenever I started dealing with that stuff, I started wondering if God was good because what kind of good God lets a little kid get raped? And some of you in here have had the same thoughts. What kind of good God allows me to have this diagnosis? What kind of good God allows me to have this problem in my family? What kind of good God allows me to have that dad or that mom? What kind of good God allowed that to happen to my marriage? Right? What kind of good God allowed me to have this addiction that I can't stop? Right? Trial will make you question the goodness of God. But trial can also get you to understand the goodness of God in the midst of trial so long as you make the right decision in where to put your faith and what you to believe. At the end of the day, guys... We can get up here and tell you God is good, God is good, God is good all day long, but it's up to you whether you're going to choose to believe that or not. It really does come down to a choice. All of this comes down to a choice. What choice are you going to make? One of the evidences that has helped me believe that God is good in the midst of all the garbage that I've gone through has been the cross of Jesus Christ. It really has. And, and I think that's part of why Jesus wanted us to focus on that every single week. We take communion to do that. And this was Jesus's idea. Jesus, before he went to the cross, got his friends together and he had a meal with them. It was actually part of the Passover. And he, at one point in the meal, took some bread and he gave each of them a piece. He broke it and said, this is my body that's broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Then he did the same with uh, a cup of wine. He gave them all a sip. He said, this is my blood that's going to be spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this wouldn't have made sense to them at the time, but it was Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew he was about to go to the cross. He gave them this ahead of time, said, take this in remembrance of me. They would have been like, what does that even mean? Okay, we'll learn later maybe. Sometimes Jesus would give them lessons and then teach them later what it actually meant. This was one of those times, right? And so after he gives them this instruction, he goes and he dies on a cross. And after three days, he rose again from the dead and he came back and he opened their mind to the scripture. He helped them understand the significance of what he had done. And from that day on, they started going around telling people he rose from the dead. Here's why he died. Here's who he is, right? And that's the gospel. He's the king of the universe, and he loves you, and he died on the cross to take your sin and your imperfection onto himself and to give you an opportunity to have all of his righteousness and all of his life. He's going to take what you deserve onto himself, and he's going to give you what you don't deserve, which is life and forgiveness and freedom, right? Anytime we sin, we cut ourselves off from the Lord. If you sin one time, your relationship with God is severed because he's that holy. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to take their penalty onto myself. I'm going to take that sin onto me. I'm going to give them my life. 
I'm going to take their dishonor onto myself. I'm going to give them my honor. I'm going to help them get to a place where they can honor God with their life, even though they're imperfect. I'm going to come and fill that gap in for them. I'm going to help them. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what he does for you. And if you're struggling with whether God is good or not, God is good and he loves you and he wants to make you the best version of you you can be. You've just got to get on board. You've got to get on the team. And he's not going to make that decision for you. You're going to have to make that decision. You're going to have to get your attitude right if you're not there yet. But he loves you and he's good and he's got a good future in store for you. We're going to pray and take communion, and then right after that, we will close out the lesson. But let me pray for us. Let's remember how good Jesus is today. God, I want to thank you for bringing us together today. Uh, I want to pray that you bless our hearts as we think through the significance of communion and the significance of your love for us. Help us to realize you want good for us. You want restoration for us. You want life for us. But God, you also leave the ability to choose up to us. Help us to examine ourselves this morning as we take communion. Help us to see, uh, God, if there's anything in our hearts that need to change, if there's any action that is not honoring you in our life, if there's a sin we're struggling with, help us to be convicted enough to change. If we need to ask for help, God, help us to be brave and ask for help, understanding we're in a safe place where people will help. God, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10, this is the last passage on your note, says, and this is Paul writing, he says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We've placed our confidence in him. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. We know on his missionary journeys, Paul had some hairy situations he had to deal with. He was probably disabled by the end of his life because of the beatings that he took uh, going around and sharing. I mean, he he was thrown in a pit and had rocks thrown on him at one time. They tried to kill him that way. Uh, His back would have been all torn up and scarred. He was flogged and beaten I don't know how many times he was in bad shape by the end of his life to the point he couldn't even write his own letters because he couldn't use his hands right likely whenever they were throwing the rocks on him he did this he probably got him crushed and so he was he was disabled he went through all of this garbage like on his trip to Asia gets into a situation where now Paul is saying we ain't gonna make it he's been through some stuff right would have been bad for Paul to be saying we ain't gonna make it But what he's saying here is that he learned in the midst of desperation to lean into God, right? How many of you have been in a spot like this in life where you've been so desperate you had to lean into God? Guys, I think when I read this passage, the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal goes and lives in the wild country. When does he get right with the Lord? In the pig pen. Whenever you find yourself in the pig pen, that is where all of the other junk in life kind of gets melted away. That is where you, 
You are so desperate, there's nowhere else to go. The only place I can look is God. Guys, the pig pen is a good place to be. There are so many addicts. Guys, I've worked with addicts for 20 years, okay? I've helped a lot of people get clean. The ones that get clean who have been habitual users are the ones who eventually find a pig pen. The ones who never get clean are the ones who are propped up by people who love them with all the best intentions. They're propped up and allowed to continue being comfortable. And they don't find their pig pen. They never get help. When you get into the pig pen, that's when everything else melts away in life. Where the only place you have to look up is up, right? The only, place, the only person you have to look to is God. The pig pen can be a really good place so long as you start making different decisions than what you made to get yourself there. And if you're in a situation today where you feel like you're in the pig pen, again, guys, I know it's not pleasant, but I'm telling you, the pig pen is a good place if it makes you look up. In this situation, Paul the Apostle Paul, the man who we would look at as a spiritual giant, guys, he still had more maturing to go through. And he goes through this trial, and because he handled it faithfully, he's despairing even of life. He even became okay with the idea of dying, because where was he going to go, right? And God brought him through, and he came out on the other side of that, Going through that battle, guys, he still smelled like smoke from the flames of that fire. And then he turns around to this group of people who themselves were thinking about giving up because of this trial they were going through. And he says to this group of people, but God did this for me. He'll do the same for you. And so that turned into a message of hope that he had to share with others. That's what God will do with your trial. If you will learn to be faithful through it, not only are you going to be okay, God's going to turn around and use you to bless somebody else. But if you don't handle the trial well, maybe you're not there yet, right? As long as you keep God at a distance, as long as you remain a spectator, whether you got the jersey on or not, as long as you sit in the stands, you're not playing the game. You're not engaged. And so your life isn't going to make the impact that it could if you just sit in the stands. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, but I want to invite everybody. We're going to close with this, okay? You've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. Please pull that out. Everybody pull that out. Get that bulletin out and get that card out. If you hear the word of God, you have an opportunity before you to respond. I want to encourage you to respond today. I want to encourage everybody to respond. If you are new to the crossings, if you're just kind of visiting here, what I want you to do is I want you to make a friend. God works through his word, he works through his spirit, and he works through his people. And by his people, I mean he works through friendships and relationships. The people that will help you grow in your life spiritually are in this room. You just need to meet them and connect with them. And so this could be as simple as go get, go get lunch with somebody today. Like go, go and make a friend. Go get coffee later this week. Go hang out with somebody. We have stuff going on here at the crossings all the time where you can just come and kind of make friends and hang out with people. We've got a block party coming up on the 10th. 
Uh, is that Saturday? This coming Saturday? So you've got, uh, you've got some information in there for that. Uh, we've got a skate night coming up for the junior hires. Guys, our adults are doing stuff all the time. A uh, bunch of us got together this past week and watched Lord of the Rings, which pretty cool show so far. We'll hope it stays that way, right? Um, but this is a family. I want you to know if you're at the crossings here, this is a family. This is a, this is a group of friends that, where you can get really close and make some really good friendships that are centered around Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to connect and do that. If you have questions about God, if you're not really sure about uh, whether God is there or if he is, whether you like him or not, right? That's okay. Nobody's going to look down on you for having questions. Just indicate on your card that you've got some questions. And, and somebody, if you want to, we will study the Bible with you. We'll just, and that's not like a classroom. We'll just sit down and open up the scriptures and say, okay, what's this say? What, is, what does it look like maybe to live this out, right? It's really simple. But that's the kind of church you're a part of. If you're struggling with an addiction today, if you're struggling with an addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography, uh, or maybe something that you wouldn't think of as an addiction, like anger, like we have resources here to help you with all that. We have people here who have struggled with that stuff and who God has helped overcome a lot of it and repent of some things. We'd like to help you if that's where you're at. Um, I don't know what your needs are, but I want you to know you are in a safe place where nobody's going to look down on you and people are going to want to be your friend. Uh, so if that sounds good to you, fill that card out and let's connect. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing a song that's going to give you an opportunity to fill out that card. Then we'll sing one more song after that and pass some baskets and you can put your card in the basket and we will talk to you later, okay? Uh, I believe we're going to have a baptism after church. Is that correct? Are we waiting on uh, Carrie? Do we know where Carrie is? Okay, he may be a few minutes, so uh, if you want to hang out, we're going to have a baptism when Carrie gets here. Uh, hopefully he'll be quick, um, but it's a cox, so don't know. Uh, let me pray for us. God, uh, thank you for Amaya's decision to be baptized today. God, the angels in heaven are rejoicing, uh, and we are too, and so we thank you for that. Uh, it's an encouragement and a blessing. I want to pray as we fill these cards out this morning, God, we are... Uh, maybe nervous about doing that, help us to say what we need to say. If we need to ask for help for something, help us to be brave and do that. Understanding that we're in a safe place where nobody's going to look down on us, they're going to help us. If we need uh, greater connection and community, Lord, if we're lonely, if we need people in our life, help us to understand we're in a place where people will love us and people will get to know us. People will be kind to us and be our friend. Uh, if we're struggling with believing that you're good, Lord, help us not just to be okay struggling. Help us to get the help that we need. Help us to ask the questions or make the connections that we need to make. Help us to get into a Bible study where we can get some answers to our questions. Lord, we love you. If there's anything we have not gotten help with today that maybe we've just been sitting on, help us to take some steps practically to get help today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.